Hello and welcome to episode 108 of The Brand Lounge, where every Thursday we feature insightful brand stories to showcase the hundreds of ways that businesses are started, the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur, and to encourage you to build your business your way. I'm Tammy Heels, your host and founder of Shadow Cat Creative, where I'm a personal brand and marketing consultant. And today I am joined once again by Victoria Jenkins, disability advocate, speaker, writer, and founder of her business, Unhidden. Welcome back to the show, Victoria. Thanks for having me again. <laughs> so in the last episode, listeners, Victoria and I talked about digital ableism and representation, particularly with the spin for small businesses and what we can do to make those changes, have those conversations and support and just generally be an ally for everyone on a day to day online experience improvement phantasma historical change I guess in the world um so make sure you pop that one on the playlist next if you missed it but today Victoria we're talking all about you and your business which I am very excited to dive into so let's start at the beginning of your business journey and could you share what it was that inspired you to start your business so I well it's interesting I have to kind of tell a bit of my story to make this story make sense um so I studied fashion design and worked predominantly as a garment technologist uh, which is kind of like a clothing engineer and I worked for suppliers you know that sold clothing to Tesco's and Primark and then went over onto the brand side and worked for Jack Wills and All Saints and my last permanent role before I went freelance was working on the tailoring at Victoria Beckham but in the yeah it was uh that was a, that was a highlight, I will say. Um, and then, you know, in the background against all of that, though, was sort of my journey into disability. So in 2012, I had a lovely near death experience um, with a ruptured stomach due to an undiagnosed ulcer. And yeah, that was not that was not my fun time. And, you know, trying to trying to work whilst having all of these things going on. And especially because, you know, it led to more surgeries. There were other, you know, other things wrong and so on. So it was in hospital that I met a patient and she'd she'd had ovarian cancer and she was in remission from cancer. That wasn't the problem. But the treatment left her with a number of other conditions, which is something we don't ever really think about. You know, when someone says they don't have cancer anymore, they usually have other things. You can't have a near-death experience or, or condition and then just suddenly have absolutely nothing wrong for the rest of your life. And it's really, that's, you know, something that I've really noticed lately that we, especially given that long COVID got dubbed a disability so quickly. And when we think about CFS and ME, you know, that we take the mick out of those as if they're not real conditions. Anyway, before I get too far down that track. Um, so, you know, she said, she couldn't dress like she still worked you know she couldn't dress for work she couldn't wear what she wanted to wear just at home but also to go out and you know go to weddings go to parties anything like that she was just sort of forced to live in t-shirts and jogging bottoms which you know she had an interest in fashion she liked to dress up and she couldn't and she also you know this is a problem that's sort of quite widespread she couldn't access her body without taking clothes off so from a dignity point of view, it was, you know, she just also being let down. And I, I mean, it hadn't, I'd never thought about adaptive design, never heard of it. Um, but I was like, oh, I'm going to have a look into this. I don't think I slept that night from my own hospital bed because I was just, okay, so this is, this is what's out there. Okay, that's what they're helping. But there wasn't, I mean, I say that there wasn't very much. And it just lit that spark of, I wasn't seeing anybody young represented. At the time, there was only Tommy Hilfiger, who still does adaptive clothing. He was only the real sort of fashion brand. Everybody else at that point who had founded a company to do adaptive design 
they were carers or parents of people with disabilities, but they weren't with a fashion background. And given that my job was how clothes are made, I do feel it gave me a bit of an edge on, therefore, what the literal technical construction changes would be needed to help. So, um, yeah, that idea didn't leave me alone. So I went freelance in 2017, thinking, oh, you know, I'll be able to work on my business at the same time as working for other people, which is not how things panned out. So... <laughs> Because, you know, trying to manage my own conditions as well just meant that that didn't really happen. So it wasn't really until last year, to be honest, you know, the pandemic hit. My clients were kind of dried up or, you know, there was so much uncertainty, nothing was really happening. So I thought, right, I've got to really go for it now, you know, while I've got this time. Because who knows if I'm going to get this time again, you know, well, hopefully we never go through a pandemic again. So, you know, um, we've had enough of this one. So... Yeah, sort of had the had the first shoot, and that was uh, that was September last year. Uh, launched the website in November of last year, so in Hidden's not even one yet. And then we did crowdfunding at the beginning of this year. I wrote a, my book at the beginning of this year, and things have yeah things have sped up, shall we say? But I mean, a lot of people you know sort of say a lot's happened in a short time, and that is certainly true. From pressing go and actually showing people Unhidden, things have moved fast. But it's also been all living in my head for five years, so. For me, this is it's weird to see it out in the real world, but also how quickly it's been brought up. Just again, undermine, undermines, underpins how necessary it is to have adaptive clothing. Yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that it's that combination that you have there where you understand the practical aspects, which, of course, is what is causing the issue to start with, is the fact that you need clothing that is practical in these new and kind of unthought of ways. But also the understanding that fashion is important. And I know that there will always be people out there who mock fashion, but fashion is a way that we as individuals express ourselves visually for the world to see yeah and even and even those people that would mock it say they don't care about it that's fine but you still get to choose what you wear right absolutely like you still have that choice whether it's part of whether it forms part of your identity or not it does because you're still you still have a choice and that's the problem is that there isn't choice or there's not enough choice yeah absolutely and even like just thinking about it from my perspective and my very limited perspective as an able-bodied person (laughs) this sounds ridiculous but if I've hurt my arm or if it's exceptionally cold I can't undo buttons I don't understand how anyone who has a permanent condition where it does limit their mobility in any way spends all of this time and it is exactly a dignity thing as well because you want to be self-sufficient you want to be independent as much as you can be for as long as you can be yeah and limiting our options it just it just baffles me yeah and sometimes some of the changes aren't that hard you know it might be some extra zips and a bit of elastic job done it might even be that that design on it's like like how i've tried to design the range is there's only two that are really specific for wheelchair users and that's because they're seated trousers obviously I try I had to test some of it on myself just because Covid meant I couldn't try it on everybody else but it does feel very weird to stand up in seated trousers because obviously they are actually sort of shaped around a sat down person but other than that everything else is universal design which means anyone can wear it they just have things built in that you can't even see really there that make them accessible and adaptive for other people. Yeah that kind of follows on from the conversation that we were having last time as well doesn't it where it's not a detriment to anyone who doesn't need it but it's 
opening up. Maybe not opening up's the right term, but it's giving possibilities to those who who would. So when it comes to the fact that you've been thinking about this for so long, and then I mean, I we we connected through a business group that we're both part of at the Coven, and seeing your progress from last year to this year has just been phenomenal. I mean massive congratulations on the way that everything's going I think that it's wonderful to see the differences that you're making but when it comes to that stage where you went from this is just an idea this is something that won't leave me alone to you know what I'm actually going to put my all into this full time so did you have you now left your job is this now your full-time thing was that a process I mean it's well yes yes and no so I still you know in terms of income I don't have one I'm very very lucky that I've been able to lean on my partner and um, family in this time but it was a I think given what it is that I'm doing it needed a hundred percent focus um, you can't you know it's not something that can be done part-time but I mean going the decide the decision to go freelance initially worked so that was only the pandemic that sort of really changed that so in many ways had the pandemic ha- not happened I don't really know at what point I was going to have the guts to push forward but it, again I did I had already made I'd already booked um, to do a business course at the beginning of 2020. I think it started in February. Uh, So things were starting to get a bit weird then anyway. And it completely changed how the course even ran. But that was kind of my, right, I've got to invest a bit in myself to then do, you know, to gain the confidence to do things. I mean, a lot of it was thinking, I don't know how to do X, Y, Z, and I have to know that before I can launch. I think now, like everything can be archived. You can redo it. There's no harm in not knowing. Ask somebody else. Or, you know, even better, if you can afford to pay someone else to do the things you can't do. Because, you know, I like, I don't need to learn coding. That's not, that's not where my time is best spent. So it's much easier for me to just dive on Fiverr, which is literally the best thing in the world. Dive on Fiverr and have somebody else do it because it takes them five minutes what might be an annoying task in the back of my head for weeks or months. It's much easier just to get things done. Do you think that that kind of mentality has really helped you to move as quickly as you have? Yes, I think so. It's it's losing the fear of either getting things wrong or it, or it has to look professional all of the time. I did a poll last week on my own Instagram stories. And I was like, do we like routine or are we all winging it? And like 90% of people said winging it. I was like, we're all making it up. No one, you know, there's, and also there's no set rule book. You know, there's not a formula. If you, if you do A, B, C, you will reach D. That's not how it works, especially not when you've got, you know, sort of an impact-based business either, because you don't know something else might change, you know, and obviously it's the landscape, the economy's changed, everything has changed. So it doesn't matter what plan you put in place. Nothing ever goes to plan, <laughs> I would say. So, yeah, I think I just, I just thought, if I don't do it now, then I'll always wonder. Would you be happy to share? And please feel free to say no if you're not. But I feel like I've met so many different business owners who have started their businesses in so many different ways. And relying on a partner when it is a possibility is something that isn't discussed very often. It's something that I have found that I've had to do over the last kind of two years because of the way that the pandemic hit my circumstances and I know that I'm not going to be the only person out there so would you be happy to share kind of maybe not detail if you're not comfortable to but the gist of the conversations that you had when it came to approaching this new kind of dynamic between you and your partner Uh, well I've just been very lucky I don't think we've either of us handled it especially well I think in terms for me it was not really a case of didn't ask I just said you know I have I have limited time and energy and if I'm going to make this work I have to do it now and it was I mean for me it was harder because I'd always been sort of the higher earner so it was really hard to go from that to less um slash to nothing at all 
but I think Jack has witnessed the difference between me doing so, working for somebody else in a company that's not necessarily my own values and certainly not you know it's not like I've ever worked for another company doing adaptive design so the difference and the I think again that's kind of what has driven the progress is it's not like I can do this forever I can't rely on that sort of um, generosity of spirit for five years for example you know if I can't make, make it work relatively quickly then I'll have to you know kind of go back to finding some other kind of work but I am finding work in a different way now that I hadn't expected you know like speaking at events and so on like that's that's now, I think, predominantly where my income will come from until and Hidden has the funding to take that to the next level, which will then generate an income. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I think, you know, it's it's a brave choice. I won't lie because, <laughs> you know, you don't know how things are going to work out. But I think, I, yeah, I just got to a point where I wasn't, you know, everywhere that I'd worked pre going freelance as well. That was still there was no career goal. I was do I was doing a job every day and just trying to survive. Uh, you know, so I didn't know what was I doing five years time. Absolutely no idea at the time. You know, and then had this idea and thought, well, that's what I will hopefully be doing. So I have to make it work now. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, and I think there's a lot of people that must be having these conversations. And you know, you find most small business owners. When, they, when it's a side hustle and then when they choose to go full time, you know, those conversations have to be had. I mean, I, whenever anyone asks me my advice, I always say, make sure you've got two to three months of rent money and savings. <laughs> but really, I mean, you need to have you need to have basically the money for a year to be able to work for free. You know, that's ideally but who has that. So I think you just kind of have to go for it and hope for the best. Yeah, I totally echo that. I I would always recommend people have a bit of a buffer. I think that it's a sensible thing to do. And I think it's a sensible thing to advocate for. However, my experience was not that at all. <laughs> I think I had that for like a month and then it was like, oh, no. But you know, it's just, and I think, yeah, it's just being realistic and trying to have some kind of budget or, you know, what's the, what's the worst case scenario? Is it that you have to move back with your parents? I'm just being very honest about whether or not that's going to happen or can you stay at a friend's or... Well, do you have to get another job? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I was really, you know, there's so many people that need hospitality workers. I just physically, I can't do that. So a lot of the jobs that are going free right now, they're not jobs I can do. So I'm still a bit stuck by that. Like every window I walk past, they're like, we need someone. I'm like... But just have two days a week in there, it'd be great. But then I'd be so like I'd be so knackered and exhausted that I then wouldn't get anything else done. So yeah, it is challenging. I think there are always different ways. I think the main part from my my perspective that helped me get through, particularly on the dark days, because and I haven't really spoken about this too much on the podcast, but I'm very fortunate that similar to you, my partner is earning enough that we can make it through okay with one wage if. And when it did hit that point last year, because it did get to that stage occasionally, but it's never going to be unfixable. There is always something. There is always another way out. I think for me, my biggest issue was the feeling like I'd lost all of my independence and that I was completely reliant on him. And that puts a lot of pressure on someone, particularly depending on the day, whether how they're feeling are they having a good day are they having a bad day and how do you yeah. kind of manage that when they're like oh my goodness my job's horrible I hate my job today and you're like oh there's the guilt um <laughs> sorry you can't quit <laughs> right it's weird to also be like sorry I'm really loving what I'm doing and you're hating what you're doing but you know it's, it's yeah it's a really weird mix but you are you know it is a partnership and it is one of those things that I think as from my point of view that already helped and I think similar to what you were saying is like just have those conversations because it's easier to talk about it even if it is difficult yeah 
Interesting. Okay, cool. So when you first came up with this idea and how you're finding your income now is coming more from like the awareness and the speaking and and the book writing and everything, has that really kind of changed the way that you see your business developing in the future? Or is it just kind of moving things along in a way, maybe in an accelerated way to what you were expecting? Hmm. I think it, yeah, I think it accelerates it because I think, you know, if it was just a business on its own then why would anyone be listening to me talk about it anyway but obviously because it's so tied to what I'm trying to do as a person and then to also have a physical representation of what I'm trying to do as a person it means whenever I speak about anything I get to talk about the business as well anyway because it is very much part of what I'm doing so in that sense I think it's definitely helped and that's what has sped things up to some degree and it also means that, you know, I'm getting paid to talk about something I have been involved in for a really long time, which makes it does help a bit with the imposter, you know, the old imposter syndrome. I mean, I still have moments even on Friday, you know, I was like, these are proper businesses. And then there's here me and it's just me and it's all been done from my living room. And you're like, well, everyone starts in a living room, really. You know, it's always that 4am idea. Do you want to talk a little bit about what happened on Friday so the <laughs> listeners know for a bit of context? <laughs> You're like, oh, I did not explain that well. So I I won um, Enterprise Nation's Female Startup of the Year 2021. Congratulations. Yeah, it was so, it was unexpected because I'd applied for it. And then, you know, it's one of those things you, you apply for and you forget and there's so many good businesses. And then you had to get people to vote for your business. So then you don't know what network other people have. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought further ahead than the next stage. So then, you know, when they're like, you're a finalist, I was like, oh, hang on, there was other things I had to do then. And then, it, you know, we had three minutes. We all had to pitch live on stage. I was like, oh, I had forgotten about that part. So, yeah, so that was a lot of, a lot of rehearsing. Um, and the thing is, I, the rehearsing always made me more nervous. I'm much better off the cuff and just ask me anything and I'll respond because then I kept getting like a minute and a half in and then forgetting or stumbling and then being like oh no like I honestly have such a blooper reel because I was filming myself doing it which I'm terrified to watch back because I'll just be like oh that was bad yeah pitched on stage and that's incredible and such a, a wonderful achievement to have after all of that thinking time after all of that looking at how you could bring this to the world and then starting your business what was it um did you say just over a year ago now under a year ago so well I'd had the shoot I suppose in September but like launching the website was November so yeah so when it comes to other things that have happened in your business along the way have there been any other um I know it's been a year and it's still been a weird year I still feel like we're experiencing that emotional hangover from so long of lockdown and everything else but um are there any other kind of key moments either big successes or big maybe hard that kind of took you by surprise in the journey of starting your business? I mean, some positives are that the disabled community, primarily we do communicate online anyway. So suddenly everyone being online and things becoming digital actually was, it made it a lot easier to reach people and be in spaces that, you know, potentially physically I wouldn't have been able to go to, you know, like maybe recording a podcast with someone in America or having, you know, being on a panel talk with people not in the same space. So it, it did open things up. Something I probably should have prepared for and hadn't was not just the pandemic and all of all of that. I mean, I felt launching the pandemic just for me, I was like, why not? Because there's, you know, this is always going to be needed. So it doesn't really matter when you launch. The problem came from Brexit and customs as well as the pandemic, you know. So I, I ordered fabric using a circular sourcing platform. And I think it, they managed to get it out of India the day before India went into lockdown. And then it got to Bulgaria and sat there for months. And when they eventually got to it, um, because the paperwork wasn't what they wanted, they then sent it back. 
And then there's been months where I just I just didn't know where it was, but there were so many customer orders as well as, you know, I wanted new samples for a new shoe that just got, I still don't have um, in some cases. So there's been, you know, teething problems, but I think that's, I think actually it's almost easier because everything has been that much harder and there's been bigger obstacles to overcome. It means that when things go well, it feels weirdly easy. You know, like if someone orders something and I ship it out, I'm like, oh, that where was the problem? There's, there's always a problem. So it's quite nice when things go well. And I think it's quite good training for, you know, because you can't, you, can't, you can't stay at that level of stress if everything has to be perfect. So things going wrong, if anything, make you a lot more, you know, like, right, well, this is just how I'm going to deal with it. I'm just going to be super honest with my customers and say, this is the problem that we're having. How do you want us to proceed? And we'll do that. So it's been but definitely baptism of fire. But I think it, it does make making decisions and moving around and being a bit more flexible about how things work, like that much easier for me. Like I, it, I'm just like, okay, we'll just do, we'll do it this way then. I'm interested because having never run a product-based business, I'm really curious when these kind of things happen. Has it influenced you to look to source your material elsewhere? Or is it just one of those that you've kind of absorbed? Oh, well, this is something that happens. Here's how we deal with the situation. I mean, it has made, I really, really wish I could make in the UK. I mean, the factory that I work with are incredible. They're really, really highly skilled. And there's actually, we there's a looming crisis um, in the retail or fashion business of we don't have enough machinists you know the machines we do have that are really really good that takes 20 years to be that good but we don't have young people taking it up so we're going to run out of garment workers um, in the next 10 years and there's you know there's not really any incentive or training programs happening there are a few there's a factory actually in London that is they do have an apprenticeship and they are trying to encourage people because I mean at the end of the day if you're a seamstress in London you can charge whatever you like and somebody <laughs> someone will pay it. So, uh, you know, it's one of those, I wish I was better at sewing. And it is a skill. And I think we've not really been respecting the people that have been making our clothes for so long that when, you know, by not respecting them, we then don't also encourage younger people. Oh, this is a career path you should follow. Everyone's like, well, we all treat those people like, like shit. So why, <laughs> why would I want to be one of those? But, you know, once you respect the skill then, you know, I, I just hope that some people do start taking it up because it is a skill and it's very needed. Um, but yeah, it has made me want to make in the UK just because then, you know, it's not the same. You know, if I buy the fabric or dead stock cloth from within the UK, it's not going to get lost for months on the way to who knows where, you know, and I'll also be able to pick up the phone, physically go myself even. I mean, one of the ways around it that I'm considering at the moment is putting fabric in a suitcase and flying it to Bulgaria myself, because honestly, that's cheaper and easier than buying and then having to import it. I mean, I've had a word with the factory now and we're going to import, we'll buy cloth just from within Bulgaria because the factory I work with, they only buy and use dead stock cloth markets anyway. So I haven't got to worry about it. But it would be nice to have it in the UK just because it'd be nice to be able to bring jobs and work into the UK. But, you know, the shirts, the shirts when I had the first samples made at a factory in London cost £179 to get made. And that's not including the trims, the fabric, the packaging, the branding and any kind of profit margin. So, I mean, if I tried to bring out a shirt, you know, to try and make a profit around £250 for the disabled community, that wouldn't have worked. Yeah, a little bit of a disconnection there between them. Um, and I mean, the other thing is that that particular factory, I don't think they could, they couldn't scale either. So if I said, you know, if I suddenly had 500 orders, they wouldn't be able to fulfill it. So they couldn't give me a discount if I placed more orders because they almost couldn't do very many. 
So it means that the price would always have been far too high. And again, that's because it's a London-based factory and, you know, the living wage is much higher. I think the machinists there get paid something like £28.50 an hour. So it's great. It just means, you know, with a shirt that's got more functions in it and it takes longer to sew, it's going to cost more. Yeah, of course. So, you know, so I'd like to go up further up. Or also just, you know, being able to bulk buy because where we're operating is made to order. You know, it's only the occasional shirt pair of trousers here and there. And sometimes I get to bunch them together. So it is almost like a production run, but it's still very small. But yeah, hopefully that can change. But again, it's just it's just being flexible and just sort of with startup life. It is a challenge. And, I, you know, there's lots of things I, you know, I'd love to be making in the UK. And being able to go and meet with the factory workers and the garment workers, I'd love that. But it's, you know, it's one of those compromises I had to make. Yeah, of course. And I think any budding business comes across these things where it's not going to be the ideal or we have to compromise somewhere because it's going to be a case of, well, do you wait until you are able to do it somewhere like the UK in your example, which may mean that this isn't coming to market for a huge amount of time, which isn't ideal. Or do you just kind of compromise for now, knowing that in the future, this is something that could alter, change and develop as you go? And like you said, I mean, this might not have even been a a consideration when you were starting out at all. No, I mean, initially, you know, I was like, well, you have to have stock. You have to be able to sell. And I thought, well, if we make it pre-order, it's like, well, if we make it made to order, then they can also they can change what fastenings they want. So I was like, so that works. Okay, well, we'll just do it that way. And then we can test the demand for it in the first place because if no one places an order ever, I mean, don't get me wrong, sales are pretty low. Um, but that's also because I'm not running marketing because I'm just one person. Uh, but I do now have marketing. So I'm hoping that will... So once I actually approve everything um, and it starts running, then at least, you know, I think I hope that will make the difference. But yeah, but I think I think the other thing everyone forgets is that whole no, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Generally, you know, there's there's planning and things that go into it. I think also I still even though I didn't really have an income, I was still investing other people's money and learning things and like doing a PR course as a small business owner. I mean, that was really the gold ticket, I think, for me. That was the difference between everybody else because suddenly I knew how to. Because, no, I mean, in some cases, I think if you've got an amazing business idea, an incredible business, people will come and find you. But otherwise, most things you've got to tell other people. And to do that, you need to know how to tell other people. And for me, that meant I had to understand how I could get hold of journalists or, you know, how to get into magazines that I want to be in or all the rest of it. So I had to learn how to do that. Interesting. And did the PR side help with finding the speaking engagements that you were talking about as well? Or is that just kind of a natural progression? I think it's a bit of both. It definitely helped because now there's people though they might send me an email just that they just want, you know, a couple of sentences from me on what do I think on XYZ. But it does help as a sort of as a credibility level, you know, sort of a trust badge, if you will. Like it works for that as well because it's about business, but it's also about the human side of it. So it's definitely helped for both. Awesome. And do you think, and this might be a big question, and again, feel free not to share if it's not if it's not something you're comfortable to, but do you think that in the future you're going to be looking at maybe brand collaborations with other spaces? Would that be something that we Oh, 100%. And that's not even a big secret. That is absolutely part of the plan. There are leads ongoing that I can't talk about, but there are... Um, yes, I think that's the way... That's the way forward because that way almost for me, then it's almost I don't necessarily need the investor. If I, if I partner with a brand that uses both my what I'm doing and theirs and we sort of work together, they're footing the bill essentially. But that is also for my knowledge and paying for my time. So that is absolutely what I want to happen. It's also because disabled people don't want to have to go and shop somewhere just for them. They want to shop where everybody else does. So that kind of means 
especially given that these brands have been so slow to take it up, not because they don't know it's needed, because they do, but they're just slow for any number of reasons. So, And I think the other problem is to do it meaningfully with someone who's got a design background and is within disability. There's not exactly very many dis- disabled fashion designers. So they'd either have to train non-disabled people in it or hire people that are already doing it. So it's uh, it's in everyone's interest. And it's not like it's just me. There's lots of other adaptive designers, by the way. <laughs> I feel like I'm saying I'm the only one. There's, you know, there's a few. And there's even, there's some students that are doing incredible things. Um, you know, I mean, obviously from, a, from an experience point of view, they're not quite there. But even, you know, researching what they do do, they've done, you know, they put a heart and soul into it. So, you know, I feel very positive for them in their futures that they would also, you know, there's not, there might not be many of us, but we're all highly skilled and very passionate about what we do. So I think, yeah, that's the way forward. Amazing. I love that. I think that, yeah, I mean, collaborations are always a wonderful way, particularly if it's something that you're trying to bring to become more accessible and I mean, mainstream, I guess, would be one of the words to use is to actually work with those who are already in that avenue. So you're bringing something to them and partnering. So, oh, that's exciting. How exciting. Awesome. So one other thing that I want to touch on very briefly, because you you have mentioned around the investing in the crowdfunding side of things um, in this episode and in the last episode. And I know that that is a route to market that not is not always considered by small businesses, either because they don't know it's available, they don't really understand it. Would you be able to just share a little bit around kind of your investor and crowdfunding journey, just as how it worked for you? Yeah, Uh, I mean, so investors, we don't have any. Um, I have a couple of friends that are sort of stakeholders, um, it's like from an equity basis, uh, but that is the next phase of what we will be doing. Um, But the crowdfunding, I mean, it's, it's good because people then, even just while they're watching the crowdfunder go on, that's engaging and that's marketing, that's people realising what you're doing. But I think if I were to run one now, we'd be even more successful than the first one because we're that much further down the road. It's just very intense. I mean, I think I did an Instagram Live three times a week for a month and um, I had a plan of, you know, what was going out when, who I was talking to, where that got promoted Um You have to talk about it every day. I think the key thing, and I learned this from within the coven, is to convert a new person to buy a product, they have to see it 200 times. You know, we all think, oh, once I've said it once, everyone knows my business. You have to really get over that repeating yourself. I mean, I feel like I repeat my own story constantly, but you have to because you have to remember it's always a new audience. It's not, you know, there's always somebody that hasn't heard it before. And yeah, when it comes to products, they've got to see it a lot before they're going to buy it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's the whole, um, you're the only one who sees all of your content. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, sort of, I look back and think, even with some of the pop-up shops, because we've been running them for so long and I don't talk about them, even now, like there's, you know, on Friday, we're doing a really big one. So I have done a post about it. But last week, I didn't say anything. So I was like, well, I'm kind of relying on the hope that people will know I'm there by not saying it. And that's not really how the world works. So you have to, you know, you do have to, it is a lot of constant storytelling, but when you're running a Kickstarter more so, because you really have to talk about it every day. Yeah. And with the pop-up shop. So my understanding of a pop-up shop is very limited because again, not from a product background, anything like that. So could you just talk about what a pop-up shop is and how it has helped your business? So, I mean, ours is a bit unique again because we're working with a new tech startup, but essentially a pop-up shop is, you know, you pay X amount of money to have either a stall or a space in a shop or to hire the entire space. And that can be for a day, for a weekend, for a month. It can really depend because we're partnered with Souk, which is a tech retail startup. And they're sort of running this experiment. If they basically, their 
they're paying the lease or the rent on empty buildings that have been emptied because of the pandemic or just generally because the high street is very empty. And then they're subletting it to small businesses either by the hour, by the day or, you know, for a weekend. So I've been on Oxford Street every Thursday and then for this last month, every Friday. So that's three months. And then we've been in Cambridge every Sunday for three months. So it's kind of like, it's an interesting, it's really hard to work out which one's better. It's either really good to have like just one day and focus all your attention on people getting there for that one day rather than every week. I like it has been hard to drive traffic every single week to the same spaces. And then equally, because people know you are there regularly, they're not in any rush to come. So it's now, you know, I've now had so many people that are like, wait, how long? I'm like, no, last next, this Friday coming is the last day. Oh, interesting. Equally, you know, it's not the only time we'll ever do it, but I think it's that it's like hybrid working, having retail space and being online. I think it just helps you can actually speak to customers and they can interact. I mean, usually someone comes in and asks for things that I don't actually make yet. Like, uh, you know, they'll ask for what about shoes or underwear or swimwear? I'm just not there yet. But it's nice to have that face-to-face time. And there have been people that have sort of followed on Instagram and have come and said hello, people that I've not met in real life up to them that have come in. So that's nice. You know, I enjoy that. Yeah, it's still awareness building, isn't it? And I guess it's like living market research as well if you're having these conversations with people who are actively interested, actively engaged. I mean, also, like, I think the last... The last three sales that we did make in store were to non-disabled people because they just like the design because you don't, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to be disabled to wear them. But obviously they came in to have a look and liked it, which was, I mean, that was a good moment for me. I was like, oh, phew, at least, (laughs) you know, it's not just, I'm not just trying to appeal to one demographic, really. It should appeal to everyone, but not everyone's going to like my aesthetic. I do appreciate that. Well, that's a whole other thing, isn't it? And that comes down under the fashion side of things. It's like, if fashion is self-expression, then you can't, you can't always cater to everyone, can you? Exactly. Um, perfect. Let's talk a little bit about your business from a branding perspective, because this is something that I always love talking about. So let's talk about your business name. So how did you come up with your business name? What was the kind of process that led you to naming your business? Um, I mean, it wasn't a huge process. It was a case of I was thinking, I think I was staying at my boyfriend's um, parents' house. We were there and I couldn't sleep because I don't often very sleep very well. And I was just sort of going around in my head. I was like, well, what's the community I'm in? Who am I trying to help? And then sort of really just thinking about, well, you know, no one knows who we are. No one knows the statistics. We're not really represented. So how can we be something around that? And what do I want to change about it? And then as soon as I said unhidden, I mean, disabled and chronic sick community have always known exactly why I called it unhidden um, because we are very much hidden. There was even the BBC put out a documentary this year called Hidden, <laughs> the disabled community and how it's been silenced. And I was like, there we go. So yeah, so the point was that we are unhidden because we are there. So I was quite lucky. And as soon as that, there was never any other name in the running, basically. Nice and easy. Fish yeah. back wash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you went with unhidden clothing, didn't you? Well, it's unhidden. The problem is, and I had to use unhidden clothing as the domain because some Australian chap has bought unhidden and I, I can buy it off him for five thousand dollars but obviously I can't really afford to right now yeah that's not <laughs> yeah, point. so I have to say unhidden clothing and it does mean that there is that some people refer to it as unhidden other people unhidden clothing I do drop the clothing but for the time being until I can afford to buy that domain name um <laughs> come on mate just give it up like yeah <laughs> Actually, like if, you, if you type it in and go on on the actual page, there's like a click button at the bottom, and it's like an escort agency. 
oh really don't want people to get that mixed up but yeah it's um it's very annoying but it's you know it's one of those things like people literally just think of cool names and then buy the domain rights and then you can buy them off for money it's a thing that i'm like hmm, maybe i could do that as a living just create domain names <laughs> sell them on because then you're going to be in the situation you're going to be causing the situation that you're in at the moment so hey so it wouldn't really work <laughs> interesting that's cool um I yeah I love that I think I understood the thought process I think behind your chosen name it's just always interesting to hear it from the person who chose it as well because it can be a long drawn out process to come to something that feels very connected or it can just be something that's like no that's it there's nothing else it's perfect yeah we're very lucky with that brilliant and and hey hooray for insomnia because sometimes like my ideas the number of blog posts are over it and when I've been like awoken at god knows what time in the morning can't sleep 4 a.m I swear that's ideas time and then but then I can't sleep because then something like oh I could do this and then yeah then the, the no sleep continues yeah it's not it's not ideal but we praise it for its creative aspects when they arise yeah <laughs> sure perfect so let's talk a little bit around your your branding in particular with your visual identity so was your visual identity something that you invested in either time or money was it something that you outsourced or was it something that you developed yourself I mean I think I've always known how I wanted it to look I can't I I can't claim claim credit for creating it so I was always I wanted it to look very beautiful like very old Celine was literally what I said to the photographer who Christian who was awesome and a friend um, so I knew what I wanted it to look like. And, I, you know, even though it is a, around disability, I wanted it to be very beautiful. Um, the problem being, obviously, then it's really fashion and then people almost skim past it thinking it's not for them. So it's been, you know, sort of, yeah, it's been a challenge. And then I just wanted to keep it warm. I didn't want it to be too cold. But then equally, when it comes to branding, when I'm looking on our Instagram page at the moment, it's an absolute mess because I have been, I was, I did, I was paying uh, my very good friend and co-founder on a different company. I was paying her to sort of, schedule and write captions um in advance and then since I've not had her since June because I've just ran out of money yeah it's gone downhill (laughs) like I did I did make some really nice posts and they looked right and then it was just slapdash um and that's how it feels at the moment which is why I'm glad I now have marketing because they've done a sort of you know they created the templates and all the rest of it so now I haven't got to worry about that but yeah I think it's hard though I do struggle because Obviously, the mission itself is quite important and impactful, but I don't want it to always be really doom and gloom. I want it to be positive and joyful and all the rest of it. But I think sometimes I get I can get very bogged down by like the seriousness of it. And given that the clothes are all black and white anyway, it's quite hard to um, express like joy and playfulness through colour. So, yeah, I need to bring some more video content in. But it's still overall, it's still the message is or I think I don't think I've ever really done anything off brand so that's you know if that works I think it's I mean it's difficult as well because people react to photos of people rather than you know the camera graphics tend to not you know they don't do as well we've had memes that I mean they almost went viral though you know like 5,000 likes for a meme I'm like I'm a clothes shop I need you to like the clothes um, and those posts get less so it can be just eyebrows you cannot predict human behavior 100 and I think that this is such a good and common challenge that small businesses face is that the content that goes viral may not be the content that is actually going to be beneficial for the business so going viral isn't the be all and end all and equally it's the reason why having a robust brand so having those beautiful photographs present elsewhere 
really does help because people are going to see you in different places like you were saying earlier the stat that you used about 200 times before they make a purchase yeah you don't want all of those 200 times to be one or the other you kind of need a combination of all of it in order to make it form this fully rounded out feeling towards your brand well this is where you know all the google pixel ads and the and the you know funnels and drips and all of this stuff that I didn't really you know it makes sense I understand the need for it and how it works but I don't know how to do it you know so it's because that's the thing if someone doesn't need to see the same advert like you just said they don't want to see the same advert 200 times they want to see from you something it doesn't have to be 200 things I think that would be impossible yeah unless you're Nike but um, other than that you know it's yeah but even then they deal in campaigns so you're likely to see a campaign from Nike alongside maybe some of their BAU stuff and then collaboration things. So the when you and where you encounter their brand will be very, very different depending on how you shop and where you frequent. So someone who maybe isn't a part of um, certain communities wouldn't see whether that's aesthetic or disability or they don't use Instagram like there's so many different variables so you're absolutely right um I'd love to touch a little bit on the fact that you have mentioned that you now have marketing and that you've worked with someone before from a marketing perspective what was it that made you decide to outsource the marketing as something that you're choosing to do uh I think essentially because it's time consuming like I love the content creation side of things but I don't always have time to do all of it but then you also have to write the caption and then you have to schedule it then manage the reaction and the dms and everything else around that and then doing it across platforms i mean it's more than a one person job it's generally a two to three person job anyway so if you're trying to do all of that as well as get people interested in what you're doing trying to do the pr trying to just actually run the business and speak to your customers it was just again one of those where I understand it. I can have good ideas for it, but the implementation, I don't, I don't have enough pairs of hands or hours in the day. So it just, and it just felt like the whole time, it's like the one thing I don't have is a consistent marketing plan and strategy and somebody who knows what they're doing in charge of it. So yeah, I'm excited. I hope it makes a difference because if it doesn't, then oh dear. But yeah, it's. I think it's also it's scary because it's one of those you've got to spend. You know, you've got to speculate to accumulate sort of scenario, and it's it's not small amounts of money. So I think again, it's kind of you can spend all the money you like on everything else, but if you aren't telling people about it, then it doesn't really matter. So like that's where I've kind of got to the end of the road where I can without marketing, and now it has to be part of the business. I'm also really curious to know how your role within the brand has kind of changed and developed, or if it has at all, because where you've mentioned that now you're doing more speaking than you were expecting to at this stage of your business have you found that you're much more center of your brand than you were expecting does that not hold true for you I, I, I am a yes and no I think on actually if you look on Unhidden's page or on the website I'm not that visible there because I didn't want to make it about me but equally I'm the only one that works for the company so it's pretty hard otherwise yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's hard it's just trying to find that balance of I, you know I want it to be about other people which is why you know I didn't name it after myself because I want it to be about the community and I want to build a community within it but you know I mean as I say that I was still thinking the other day it'd be nice to have my own name brand though that was just something totally different no I don't know when I think I have the time to do these things <laughs> they're there though the seeds have been planted yeah, they're there so yeah I mean it has it has changed and I think I think as it's it's kind of made it like harder and easier because I'm completely sitting in my purpose and what I care about whenever I whenever I'm talking about the community or talking about unhidden 
they're sort of two sides of the same coin, which makes a lot of the decision-making really easy. Because does this work? No. Would this make sense? No, it doesn't. And it means, it means I can pick and choose to some degree who I do let in. Because I think, you know, there's there's been a lot of interest from, I mean, obviously bots find you relentlessly anyway. Yeah. But there has been interest from a lot of people, but they're all from non-disabled backgrounds asking, you know, to help or in certain ways. I'm like, but if you're not part of the community, then I'm actually going to have to teach you that and then how to engage. And the, and the problem is I'm going to always have that problem. Well, not necessarily. There are some, you know, some people coming forward and starting agencies that can help. But it's um, it's sort of you think I, I thought I'd bought myself back some time, but I've still got to get them up to the level where I'm at to make sure that things don't go wrong. Of course, it's really interesting. It is really interesting. I'd be really curious to know how it develops over kind of the next year or so, especially where things are opening up, because I know that a lot of your community, you were saying you communicate focused mostly online, but now that the world is opening up a little bit more, I do wonder whether that's going to have a bit of a shift and also how it impacts with the awareness side for non-disabled people to understand that this is something that needs to be addressed paired with marketing for you know predominantly for the disabled community well this is well this is the problem yeah it's that i mean especially and we've touched on it before but actually to market to the disabled community is extremely difficult because algorithms and imagery gets reported suspended removed so we have an extra barrier to even get hold and put ourselves in front of people so it does mean that it's easier to get attention by putting ourselves in non-disabled spaces um, and then hoping that the disabled community sees it but it's it's very very difficult to market when we're kind of impeded by digital ableism once again yeah I'm really I'm really genuinely interested to see how it develops and grows over the kind of the coming year so yeah I mean maybe maybe you could come back and we could have a little chat in a year's time see how things have changed that'd be exciting that would be cool I mean I have no idea now like there's not you know I it's not that I don't have a plan I have a plan but uh given how things have how fast things have gone in the last 11 months. I mean, I didn't think we were going to have retail space. That was part of my five-year plan, not before we even won. So, I mean, obviously it's not quite the same as retail in terms of we didn't have loads of stock to sell, but it was still having that space, which was unexpected. So I'm, yeah, I'm kind of, there's a plan, but like the journey itself, how we get there, I'm I'm open to whatever happens next, really. <laughs> ah, how cool though. What an exciting space to be in. Perfect. So let's talk um, a little bit around your favourites in your business. So what would you say is your favourite part of your business? I know it's a big question, but pick one. I think it's it's seeing the difference it's making to people. Because, you know, it's yes, it's a dress, but it's, it's a dress that suddenly someone can actually wear outside their house and they can wear a dress for the first time in 10 years. Or they're not comfortable and in pain by wearing trousers. They can just wear their trousers. Uh, or they can go to an awards, like one of our customers got to go to an awards ceremony. And he was able to dress up, which he hadn't been able to do. You know, he'd had to, again, was non-disabled originally and had to give up his whole wardrobe. And then f- feeling like he was never going to be able to dress how he wanted to again. And then thankfully finding me and, and hidden and being able to so yeah it's seeing the impact of it, the genuine difference it makes in someone or even someone that doesn't need adaptive clothing but they've seen disability represented on the high street that's been very powerful for a lot of people um, which is why I don't you know I don't moan too much about the fact that we haven't had great sales in physical space because at least we're still there and people still see that we're there and I hope that it means that you know the, the businesses around and even people walking past will then sort of think well why was that there or you know 
start considering disability and including it. It's starting the conversation, isn't it? It's showing up and taking the action to start and encourage others to consider it and bring their representation in and combat the way that we are currently thinking. So, yeah, awesome. So much more than sales, isn't it? Yes. I think also like so many people measure success in terms of the money. I mean, don't get me wrong, this will have to turn a profit, otherwise it's technically not successful. Of course, it's business. <laughs> but, you know, I think it, it doesn't have to be the be all and end all, certainly not quickly. I mean, saying that, you know, a lot of, I think, I don't know, I can't remember the stats, it's something like, what, three and five businesses go bust in the first two years or something like that. I'm like, but they might not have done if they'd had longer to keep trying and keep going. It just, I think sometimes just means you have to be really, really flexible. I think a bit outside the box, I hope. And also we're coming out of two of the weirdest years that I think could ever have been. I, I don't know how we would have ever have anticipated that we'd be going through what we've gone through. Like I am a huge fan of post-apocalyptic fiction. Even I didn't think that this was actually going to be a thing. I mean, I still read a lot of the, the apocalyptic books that were around before, you know, and you read it now you're like, oh, it did happen a bit that way, didn't it? Right. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, obviously it's been awful and, you know, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of loss that could have been avoided. And I mean, I think especially in the disabled community, it's been very, very tough and it still is. And that's the other problem almost with having physical spaces. A lot of people still aren't comfortable being out, especially not in central London, but you know, they're still shielding, especially with things, the numbers going up as they are. I'm kind of, kind of glad that I'm about to finish my three months run because I don't know what's going to happen in November and December. Yeah. But again, it's one of those, we try these things, we see how they work. We try them on for size, see the impact that they have, work out whether they do work for our businesses and see what happens next. It's that whole winging it. Exactly. <laughs> see what happens. If it doesn't work, try something else. You know, I do feel sometimes like I have a bit of a scattergun approach to things, but that works sometimes. You'll find something that you weren't expecting to works. And I think we're probably, I think for me, it's taught me that for now, there's no absolutely no need to be investing in a retail space permanently every day a week but I think there is room for either like a once a month or every other week or at least in different locations and building up to that one event is a lot easier than trying to do it weekly as a small business yeah and I mean you wouldn't have had the opportunity to explore that if you hadn't have tried these different things so I think that the scattergun approach as much as it it depends it always depends doesn't it It depends on what works for you and you need to try to find what it is for you and if you can do it before you invest huge amounts of money and that you're stuck with something like a large retail space then perfect so the last thing that I have for you before your final piece of advice is what was what has been your favorite method of marketing your business I suppose it's the it's the PR bit really. It's either getting to write an article or be interviewed. Going on TV has been quite nice. <gasps> How exciting! That was fun. So that was not last week. The week before um, was on Steph's pack lunch, talking about unhidden with the clothes next to me, which was a very surreal moment. I kind of froze as well. I mean. I don't think anyone noticed that I did, but I felt very rabbit in headlines. But yeah, and then seeing seeing the reaction to that, and it's usually just someone saying, well done for what you're doing, or, you know, I've never seen disability talked about like this in, in a positive, inclusive way. Um, and I think it's that's the easiest way for people to understand, because I think just writing it down doesn't always work. Um, I think people need to, you know, because people need to understand why I'm doing it. So I have to sort of divulge my own backstory so that it makes sense and then talk about what you know and also address the things that we're not doing you know we're not as affordable as I'd like to be 
but then saying that we shouldn't be able to buy things for five quid. In a world where everyone's being paid properly, that doesn't exist. So there is that. But, you know, it's still, it, it never feels like I'm doing enough, even though I do what I can, you know, again, one person. But it's still, it's easier to convey the things that I want in the way, the way forward when I'm actually saying it. I think sometimes if I get interviewed and they're writing it down, occasionally there's some discrepancies, like usually with how old I am, um, which is fun because they usually make me younger um, <laughs> or they might slightly get wrong like when things happen for me and the timelines of things or sometimes the you know the language can be especially if it's a non-disabled person interviewing there has been the occasional um, misstep but everyone's always super open to changing it and sort of fixing it I mean probably also meeting people in the community that are doing they have a business too like meeting other disabled entrepreneurs has been one of the fun parts of it because we all you know sort of you're suddenly in a zoom room of people that all have the exact same problem for the exact same reason we're like oh thank goodness it wasn't just me it's we're all doing this okay fine (laughs) so it makes it feel a lot you know a bit yeah a lot nicer yeah less isolated in a world of isolation I guess yeah I mean it's it's really you know we all I think none of us are behaving the way we should we're all a bit terrible with boundaries because we're trying to keep up with how society reacts to things so you know if you haven't answered that email immediately I feel really panicked and I have to whereas now I have it on my email signature which I don't think anyone actually reads but I do say I you know response times will vary I have an out of office that goes out an autoresponder to every email that comes in which is like here are my general guidelines so I was doing that but I think I need to rewrite it and have a better one because it was getting a, a yeah I need to rewrite that but again it's just setting those boundaries and we learn and we grow and we adapt depending on how we're feeling perfect so thank you so much for sharing all of that with us it's been wonderful to hear kind of the insights not only of how your business has changed and developed but also a little bit more around you and your backstory and why this is so important and passionate for you so I know it's a big question but from everything that you've shared from your business journey, what would be the one piece of advice you'd like to give to the listeners? Sounds really basic, but I think start. Like, don't wait till every single element is perfect and in, you know, in order because you never start. And I think, you know, while you're not starting, maybe someone else is going to have the same idea and start it before you do. So there is that. You have got to start somewhere and you can always archive things, change it, you know, all the biggest companies in the world went through branding, rebranding, you know, they've all done it. So there's that. I think asking for help, like everybody will help. If you, if they know you've got a small business and it's, just, there's something as you've got, you'll have a friend that probably does something that you need and you just don't ask because you feel like you have to have all the answers and you have to do it all yourself. I think there is definitely, especially when we're women, we kind of feel like we need to prove that we don't need any help from anybody. We're just going to do our own thing. Like, but we do need help. Not everybody can do every part of every business. And you can't be all things to all people in the same way you can't be all things to your business. So asking for help. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with that one. It was a long time before I asked for help. And I really wish that I'd done it sooner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, amazing. And um, so I'm going to wrap up this episode here, um, unless there's any final thoughts that you want. But I absolutely love that last piece of advice. I think that that's really, really, really key for anyone out there listening. So where can the listeners find more of you online, Victoria? So there is unhittingclothing.com. Uh, there's actually victoriaam.online, which is my personal website, which I've I did do a rebrand. Uh, I moved it from Wix over to Squarespace because I could not get my head around Wix. 
and it was just it was it meant it wasn't getting updated because I wasn't finishing it or fiddling with it. Um, and then unhidden underscore clothing on Instagram and on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and then Victoria Ann Jenkins on LinkedIn. Perfect. Oh, I will put all of the links into the show notes. I will also link the book because I think that that would be a wonderful place for anyone to start if they're looking for more information around kind of digital ableism and just kind of beginning to start their own exploration and conversations um, further to your wonderful interviews with us here so thank you so much for your time today Victoria I really do appreciate it it's been fun thanks for having me awesome so listeners if you're enjoying the podcast if you found this helpful if you found this informative I would love for you to recommend these episodes to just one other person to help spread the word about the brand lounge all of the content that we're bringing you and it does help the podcast to grow and means that we can continue bringing you new episodes and new guests every week until next time head over to our instagram community links in the show notes and we can continue these conversations in the brand lounge